0: You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We've been talking a lot about living the dream. And uh, if you do even a little online uh, research or, or ask people what it would take for someone to be living their dream... People would say, just a little bit more. Uh, and the interesting thing is that we live in one of the most wealthiest nations, and we are one of the most wealthiest people around, and yet we still think we need just a little bit more. As a matter of fact, last week, as, as, as Pastor Bob talked about our money and did that survey from, uh, was it Gallup? Gallup survey that said that if we just had just like 24, 25% more, we'd be better. Everybody says that. We always want just a little bit more. Interesting uh, fact is uh, um, Howard Hughes, one of the wealthiest men of his time many years ago, uh, was asked, he had amassed more wealth than anybody had ever um, amassed at that time. And they asked him, uh, Mr. Hughes, don't you feel like you have enough? And, And what would it take for you to have, you know, to be satisfied with your wealth? And he said, all I need is just a little bit more. And that's the way it is with those things. Is we just want just a, a little bit more. And though this, you know, uh, uh, like I said, this nation is one of the richest. We just always want more. And though it's not against, God is not against having nice things or fun vacations or a great family and friends or being wealthy, living the dream is found much deeper Jesus actually said in John ten ten that He came that, that that so that we might have life and have it abundantly to its full, that we would be actually living the dream, His dream for us, and the dream God has for us is a lot bigger than you can even imagine. For that abundant life He has for us is not achieved, but it's given, and then we have the opportunity to have it lived out. I love what Jesus says in in Matthew chapter eleven verses twenty eight to thirty. He says, "Come to me, all you were." Who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, that's yoke meaning his way of life, is easy, and my burden is light. Hey, see, his yoke, his way of life, is he has uh, what, what Pastor Bob talked about, he has kingdom dreams for us that are far beyond our imagination. He has a kingdom dream for you. And it comes as we come to that point in our life where we uh, believe Jesus as our Savior. We understand our sinfulness, that our sinfulness holds us back from our dreams. And the grave reality is the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So all of us have a difficulty living out our dreams and living out God's dreams for us. The dream for the fulfillment of life, the dream for being connected with God, even the dream for heaven. It's lost because of sin and there's nothing we can do to try to fix that. That's why Jesus came. That's why we get so excited about uh, all that he did for us because he paid the penalty for our sin when he died on the cross and, and we now have the opportunity to live with him and live out his dream for us. That's why he says, come to me, are you weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. It's being, it's making Jesus our savior, our Lord and our leader. His yoke, his way of life. It means to be in Christ. To live life under and involved and really wrapped around Jesus. For in Christ, we have family, God's way. Family in Christ, according to John chapter 1, verse 12. I'm going to list a bunch of verses. You can write them down or pick up the study guide and look them up later. I do encourage you to read the passages around these verses because you will be amazed at what we have in Christ. When we come and take his yoke upon us, when we come to live in him and believe in him, we, have, we, we are living the dream. We have family in Christ. We have belonging in Christ, according to Romans twelve five. We have equality and unity in Christ, according to Galatians three twenty eight. We have peace in Christ, as Philippians 4, verse 7 says, that, that's that, that peace that surpasses understanding. And we have love in Christ. Not just the, the human love that we experience, but that deep, deep spiritual love that's that sense of connection and belonging that can come no other way but through Christ, as 1 John 4, 9, and 10 talk about. See, living the dream is being in Christ. And yet, our sin bet human nature influences us to think that, that living the dream is found through our efforts and our notions of what is good. And so we make idols out of things, like even family. We think that if we had just the right family, just the right spouse, the right kids, the right uh, you know, family sense and all these fun family things that then we'd be fulfilled. We'd be living the dream. And we look to that family instead of looking to Christ for that deeper sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. We do the same thing with money. We talked about that last week. That We, we so easily, the love of money that we talked about, that, 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 that incessant drive for money, thinking that if we just had a little bit more. We'd be satisfied. We'd be living the dream. And what we're doing is we're replacing that thing for Christ. Therefore, it's an idol. And we do that with many areas of our life. Yet still, living the dream is found in Christ and Christ alone. It's family, His way. It's money, His way. So, what about political matters? It's like, you know, I got to tell you this just to... Just I did this sermon, obviously, first service. And I was a little concerned because everybody seems so serious. Mike's talking about politics. He's wearing a red, white, and blue tie. (laughs) What's he going to (laughs) say? Well, you'll have to wait. But even in political matters, how are we living the dream? Because much does hinge on who is in political power. For it is true, our government affects us the economy uh, the job market health care taxes some people's ideas are forwarded some people's passions are sidelined and some will say they are either live in the dream or this is my greatest nightmare depending upon who gets in office and i don't know if you've noticed but this particular political season is just a little bit crazy. I mean, it's almost, well, it's all, you turn on the news and you kind of look at that and go, what's going to happen next? Ugh. Yes. <laughs> That's about where it is. <laughs> I, just ha- I just heard a poll uh, this, uh, this last week that was taken that most Americans don't like any candidate. And there is a great fear welling it is so easy to think that living the dream is our candidate in office, our party in power, our policies passing, making an idol out of politics. I want you to listen to uh, what one pastor said, uh, Tim Keller, Timothy Keller. He wrote this uh, in, in his book called Counterfeit Gods. And I've actually put the quote on your uh, study guide, so you can pick it up later, but it's taken from the book, Counterfeit Gods. It's a great book and you should get it. He says this about uh, the idol of politics. One of the signs that an object is functioning as an idol is that fear becomes one of the chief characteristics of life. When we center our lives on the idol, we become dependent on it. If our counterfeit God is threatened in any way, our response is complete panic. We don't say, what a shame. How difficult. But rather, this is the end. There is no hope. This may be a reason why so many people now respond to U.S. politics, political trends in such an extreme way. When either party wins an election, a certain percentage of the losing side talks openly about leaving the country. They become agitated and fearful for the future. Catch this point. They have put the kind of hope in their political leaders and policies that once was reserved for God and the work of the gospel. They have put the kind of hope in their political leaders and policies that once were reserved for God and the work of the gospel. When their political leaders are out of power, they experience a death. They believe that if their policies and people are not in power, everything will fall apart They refuse to admit how much agreement they actually have with the other party and instead focus on points of disagreement. The points of contention overshadow everything and a poisonous environment is created. Another sign of idolatry in our politics is that opponents are not considered to be simply mistaken, but to be evil. Let that sink in for a moment. It has a lot to do with who we believe is really in power. The truth is Jesus is in power. The truth is Jesus, the Christ, is in power. Regardless of who becomes president, Jesus is still high and holy and supreme. And yet, we still are required to respect and honor and participate in the country, the state, and the city we live in. So, how are we living the dream when it comes to political matters? Jesus actually spoke to this. This very subject, a few, when a few faith and political leaders connected with him in Matthew chapter 22 verses 15 to 22. Leaders who were trying to discredit Jesus and lessen Jesus' prominence and power. And yet Jesus still here gives us a threefold formula to live in the dream in regards to political matters. And so I'd like for us to look into that. And so if you wouldn't mind putting your books aside and standing up for a second, let's ask God to, to reveal something fun to us this morning. You all are getting that same look the first service gave me. So I'm not so sure. <laughs> Father, thank you um, for your Lordship in our life, and thank you that your word guides us through tough waters. Um, so Lord, I'm praying this morning that your Holy Spirit will reveal to us the lessons that you want each of us to gain lord and and, and challenge us to our point of need Lord, and if we've been making things idols, Lord. Convict us of that and let us place you back in that place as king of our life. Or let us yield to you as the king of our life. Or may you challenge us these next few moments, we pray in your son's name. Amen. You can have a seat and encourage you to, to uh, <clears throat> take some notes down as we walk through this. As we go, there are three a threefold formula to live in the dream in regards to political matters. Because the first formula is to seek integrity. So hopefully your Bible is open now to Matthew chapter 22. And let's look at this uh, passage here. We're going to be looking at 15 to to, to, uh, 18 at first. Matthew writes, then the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time. Uh, The interesting thing about Pharisees is that they had made an idol out of the law in other words, they thought that they were more righteous by the more laws they kept. They thought that it was all about the law. Everything was about the law. And in fact, then they began to really enjoy the idea of power. And so they would even make more laws so that people would, you know, they would tie heavy weights on people and, and make them feel awful because they couldn't follow the law. But, they, you know, they were thinking themselves really big and they'd dress on the outside and all so forth. And, and uh, um, they didn't like the fact that Jesus was gaining more power than they were Uh, the the emphasis now is moving back onto god and to christ and not onto the pharisees because people were afraid of the pharisees because they had the power to push people out of the synagogue and you needed the synagogue that was your community so the pharisees were not happy with jesus especially as he starts calling him what they are (laughs) and you'll see that in a moment but the pharisees Went and plotted how to entangle him, that's Jesus, in his words. They wanted to do anything they could to discredit Jesus. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians. The Herodians? They were a group of Jews that they were all into politics. They loved what Herod and, and what Herod did and the political systems that Herod created. And they would wear the, you know, Herod for president buttons and f- wave the flag. You know, Herod, we love Herod. And they would, uh, they would uh, be very political in what they were doing about Herod. And they were Jews who, who should have put God in the center, but they were putting Herod in the center, yet the Pharisees were putting themselves and the law in center. And they both hated each other, the Herodians and the, and the Pharisees. But here they come together at what they called a common enemy because Jesus was also taking power away from Herod and the existing government and saying, wow, Jesus as Messiah King, that really works. People were saying that. And they were frustrated with him. They wanted to discredit Jesus. And so the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words and they sent their disciples along with the Herodians saying, teacher. We know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And you can almost see him there just kind of gloating. (laughs) Ha ha! We got Jesus! There's no way he can answer this. If he says it's, it's, it's to pay the taxes to Caesar, all the people of the, the, the Jewish faith will decredit, discredit him because none of them thought they should pay taxes to Caesar. And if he says pay taxes to Caesar, uh, it's, it's going to create an uproar. And not pay taxes is going to create an uproar. And it's just going to be great. And they just, they, They've got him nailed. And they are just so excited at his answer. Verse 18, but Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test? You hypocrites. (laughs) Jesus just comes out and tells them what they are. They were hypocrites. They were saying one thing. I'm a Jew. I'm a follower of God. And yet they were following the government. They were following more than God. And they were following the law more than God. They were a hypocrite. Hypocrite means um, an actor. But yet even... They noticed Jesus was honest, speaking the truth and did not compromise his integrity for the sake of what others think. Jesus lived and taught God's way, his way. That's a life of integrity. You see, the Pharisees were not. They're not people of integrity or true. They were hypocrites, actors playing a role. Jesus exposes their true self. As a matter of fact, just flip over. Take your Bible and just flip over. It's probably a page or two to uh, Matthew 23. He says this, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the, his disciples, the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. The, the wording there is saying that they want to sit where Moses sat. See, Moses sat as the one who gave the law. He had power. Man, his face shone. People respected Moses. He's always like, ooh, Moses, ooh. I mean, everybody went to Moses. Moses had that connection with God like nobody else, and he had power. He had political and, and spiritual and social power. And the, the the Pharisees, ooh, they wanted some of that. And they wanted to be the ones who made the law. That's why they expanded the law as they did, because they wanted to sit in Moses' seat. They wanted to sit in that seat of authority, thinking that they're all that in a whole bag of chips. They just they, uh, but, but Jesus says, look at this. They're just trying to sit in Moses' seat. And, and read the whole chapter of, of Matthew 23. Jesus just, whoo, man, nails them at every turn. Uh, you know, and, he, and he says, woe to the Pharisees. woe Woe to them. Go over to verse 27. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Unclean- Verse 28 So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of her- hypocrisy and lawlessness. They were not living the dream. They thought they were by putting it on the outward appearance. But see, living the dream is living a life of integrity, as Jesus just described, that they should be living. See, living the dream is not having influence or power over someone else or a party or a policy winning. It's found in being true to our calling to the righteousness of our faith. You see, even though that we're sinful and, and in need a savior, and the truth is we're not righteous And though we can try as we might to do righteous things, that doesn't transform us to be righteous. And we have to be righteous to fulfill the dreams God has for us, to get into heaven, to have that relationship with God. But there's absolutely no way we can make ourselves righteous. No way. But that's why we get so excited about Easter week. Matter of fact, we should get more excited almost on Friday than on Sunday. Because Friday is when our sins were taken care of. When Jesus was on that cross in that last hour and he screams out, it is finished. He's saying, paid in full, your sins are no longer held against you and you are made righteous in me when you come to believe. That's the reality of what Jesus did. And when we come to faith, when we believe, not just a, a an intellectual brain knowledge of that, but actually saying, you know What? I get it. I'm sinful. I get it. I need a savior. And I get it. It's life his way where living the dream is found. That's faith. And taking action upon that, that's faith. I love how 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it. He says, for our sake he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. That in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. See, we are made righteous in Christ, not by any action we do. And now we are to practice that right living so it becomes like second nature to us. How many of you have to think to ride a bike? Well, some of you may. But you don't have to think to walk or to chew gum. It just kind of comes naturally. It's like second nature to you. And God wants our righteous living to become like second nature to us so that when we move on in life, it just kind of flows out of us. So we need to then practice our faith. It's like, you know, Garrick or, or David playing guitar up here or, or Abby playing the piano or Bob on the drums or, or they're, they're playing their instruments. It's like second nature to them. They just, you know, you give Bob a couple of drumsticks and all of a sudden he just starts, ba-doom, 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 he just starts you know, you give me two drumsticks and it's everywhere. I'm looking chopsticks. I'm not, I don't know what, but I, I can't, you know, how they can strum and just keep talking like that. I have no idea because I would be going, Ooh, ah, how do you do? It's like second nature to them in the same way. Righteous living is, should become like second nature. So we need to practice our faith. This practice is seeking integrity. So how then do we live out this integrity like Jesus? Well, just a few verses from our passage in Matthew 22, down to verse 36 to 39, Jesus says so. He says in in verse 37, to love God more. What's the greatest and foremost commandment? Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. We're to love God more. And to think every day, how can we love God more? How can we, we show him that we love him and praise him and be obedient to him? How can we love God more? And the second is very similar to that. It's to love our neighbor as ourself. And that means to show a love to our nation, our state, our local government. Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Did that soak in? There is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. That means that right now, the leaders in politics are there because God put them there. And what's coming up this November It's not going to be the popular vote or the delegates or whatever, the superdelegates or whatever. It's going to be God who puts that person in that place. Don't ever mistake in that. And therefore, we are to love our neighbor by obeying these governing authorities, be subject to them and pay taxes and obey the laws and be a good citizen and resident. Now, sure, if the government says something that is against what God says, God is always the higher authority and we must obey him first. I love that time in Acts chapter 5 when Peter and the apostles were arrested for talking about Jesus. And, and, and they say, it says this in Acts 5, 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. Integrity is obeying God. The question is, are you? Now, you know, in the United States, it's going to be really hard to, you're going to be hard pressed to have the government tell you to go against God. But that happens all over the world every single day. And every single day, followers of Christ are obeying God rather than man and being martyred constantly. We lose sight of that in our nation's bubble, but the truth is there are martyrs every day for faith. Faith. But integrity is is to obey God. That's where living the dream is found. Not in who is in office or what policies are in place or where government funding goes. Don't let the political climate replace your hope in Jesus. He is still in charge. He is still king. Seek the integrity of obeying him and you will find true and right hope. Well, well, to add to this formula of living the dream in political matters, Jesus now brings up the challenge to be civically responsible. Look now back at Matthew twenty-two, verse nineteen to, to the end of the chapter or end of the passage. After they brought, you know, asked him the question, "Do they pay t- taxes to Caesar or not?" Jesus asked for. He says this in verse nineteen: "Show me the coin for the tax." They brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness is inscribed in this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they, they marveled. Didn't argue. Didn't want to debate with Jesus anymore. They left and went away. See, Jesus says the obvious, but then shocks the crowd by acknowledging God's sovereignty and that human governments are a legitimate authority. So, as a resident or a citizen, there are civic duties and responsibilities we are due. We are to be civically responsible. One of the ways is paying taxes. We got an extra few days this year. Taxes are due tomorrow. But you know, we should pay our taxes. Some people say, well, you know, I, 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 God's my higher authority. I don't pay taxes. Well, God just told you to pay taxes. And it's a worthwhile venture. We have all that we have around us because of taxes. It pays for the roads and the, and the street signs and the, and the uh, medical care and uh, all kinds of things the government pays for welfare and so forth and and we have the privilege and the honor to pay that and honestly according to the world we don't pay that much taxes I mean, go to some other countries it's 50 80 percent of what you make and yet we should be kind of excited to pay our taxes i, I know it's you look at them amount and go ah what could i do with that but yet what what is being done with it is good to be civically responsible, we should also participate in our local communities. I love Jeremiah twenty-nine, verse seven. Actually, if you read a few verses, like probably one to eleven, is, is, is better to look at that piece. But Israel was taken from exile into into Babylon, which was an awful, caustic, um, horrendous, uh, oppressive government, and the and the Jews were kicked around and and pushed under. And yet, here is what the prophet says to, his, says to these people, God's people. But seek the welfare of the city that, you have, that I have sent you it's into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. It means that we are to get involved. To actually know what's going on in our city, and in our county, and in our state, in our nation, in our world. And to have a, a, a greater view that's it's not just me and mine, but I'm put here to be part of this community. Write down somewhere in Matthew chapter 5. Look through that where he says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. That, that, that God has placed us and seasoned us around and placed his little uh, points of light all the way around this world so that we could point people to God. And you are where you are because God has placed you there in that community to be involved, not to sequester yourself to whoo I gotta be an everything Christian. Woo, my little Christian bubble. That's heaven. That's coming. Now is the time that God says, get involved. Be part of your community. So they can see what a Christian looks like. Because you know the Christians they know? They're weird. They're the ones that are on TV. They're really weird. You're one of the you're one of those? Show them otherwise. Show them that you can be an actual normal human being who loves God with all their heart. And that's God's call to us, and we should be involved and seek the welfare of the city to volunteer, to get involved in our city. Every city needs help. Ask the parks and rec department. Call the city, call the areas, find out how you can be involved. Be that light. And if you can vote it's a privilege that, that this nation has afforded, and if you have that opportunity then then get involved. register and then know the candidates, know the um, amend- amendments or whatever's on the ballot. know those things. and we most certainly should pray in jeremiah twenty nine and pray to the Lord. On its behalf. But I love how First Timothy two one and two says it. Then first of all, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful that, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Every one of us can pray. And we ought to pray for this nation and this state, and this county, and this city. Amen. And I love, I love what, uh, what has been done uh, over the years, and, and, and this uh, great opportunity has, has hit us, of, called the National Day of Prayer. It's on May 5th. It's right after May 4th. You know, may the 4th be with you. It's... It, <laughs> may 5th, Cinco de Mayo. Um is the national day of prayer and, uh, the nation gets together and, and, and we're challenged to pray for government and, and, and all the different civic areas of teachers and nurses and, and rescue workers and all those kind of things. And, and so, uh, um, uh, Richard Horn and, and the prayer team have put together some uh, brochures for you. They're in the lobby area about how to pray for the National Day of Prayer and, and uh, some things that are there. I encourage you to pick those up. But what's Abby will tell you this more later, but, but there's a, what we're going to do here on May 5th is that we're going to have our prayer room open, our kind of prayer war room open uh, from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And you can sign up on different hours to come, or you can just show up. Uh, but it'll be a great time. Uh, so there'll be some people in there leading the times of prayer and, and that'll be a great opportunity to pray with other people about our city, state, nation, all those different things. And I encourage you to, to, to do that. But, but you can pray anytime and you can go to actually to the website and they can download some lists or, or go to the papers or go on, online and look at the city's uh, websites and to know who to pray for. But we're to pray. But we have to be careful. We do not replace our hope for life that should be in Jesus for what our government can do. See, it's, it's not about making America great that will save us. Only Jesus can. And does. And how we put our hope in him is to now restore Jesus as king. Uh, go back to Matthew 22 and just that one phrase that Jesus says. He says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. Jesus is saying, give back to God what he is due. And what he is due is the acknowledgement of the supremacy of Christ. I love how Hebrews 1 verses 2 and 3 put this together. It says this, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Not just some things. Not just one or two things. But you know what that Greek word all means? It means all. All things. Through whom he also created the world. He, that's Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. Jesus is supreme. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the high, holy, supreme power over everything. Colossians 1, and you can look this up later, these, these two passages, Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20, says Jesus is God, eternal, creator, the one who holds it all together and our reconciler. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 says, He is our humble God who serves. He is highly exalted. The name that is above every name. that The name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that He is Lord. See, the truth is, He is Lord even if you don't recognize Him as Lord. Right. He is the high, holy, supreme power over everything. Every miracle reveals His sovereignty just walk through the Gospels and and how he gives sight to the blind. He caused the lame to walk. He touches leprosy and it's eradicated. Jesus has power over the physical universe. He doesn't care about the laws of nature. If you go into your swimming pool and try to walk across it, you will sink. Jesus has the ability to, I don't know how he does, just simply walk on water. Calm storms. He even raises people from the dead. Oh, man, I wish I could have been there at Lazarus's tomb. They open they roll down the open tomb. Oh, Jesus, don't roll. He's going to start stinking because he's been in there for four days. And Jesus calls out. and He says, Lazarus, come forth. And I love this. Do you know why he says, Lazarus, come forth? Because yeah. he was in a graveyard. And if he would have just said, come forth, everybody would have come forth. <laughs> you know, zombies. Come, there, it would have been crazy. But that's Jesus. He has that power. He even has the power to raise himself from the dead. Jesus is the high, holy, supreme power over everything. He is our champion. He is our hero. He is the victorious one. And living the dream is to choose to give back to him the honor He is due. I I love what Psalms 96, 8, and 9 says. ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness and tremble before him all the earth. See, to restore Jesus as king is to ascribe or to give what is due with passion. To give him honor. To give him credit and praise he is due to submit to his will and way as our offering of his greatness and to adore his grandeur with humility and reverent respect, that kind of reverent respect that you you almost fall at your knees, if not literally fall at your knees and tremble a bit of how awesome and amazing and incredible he is. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Will you? That's where living the dream is found. Not in any political matter. Not a candidate. Not in a policy. Not in a, in a, in a um, party. No candidate can match or alter the rule of Jesus. He is king. Now, <laughs> I know we are in a politically crazy season. And many people are disengaged discouraged, and fearful. And we can easily let politics become and replace what only Jesus can bring in that inner part of our life. Thinking that living the dream is about a political party, a candidate, or a policy. And yet Christ alone is our hope. So Jesus' formula in political matters is to seek integrity and avoid hypocrisy. To be civically responsible and get involved to, to restore Jesus' kingdom, to describe Him, the glory due His name. The question is, will you? That's life in Christ. That's living the dream. Will you pray with me? Father, thank You for just this challenge. And Lord Jesus, uh, silencing Your critics, but also teaching a great lesson that we need to put You central in our life. And life is not about who's in power or whether our candidate or policies are there. Lord, it's really about you. You being in that central place and removing those idols that we so easily throw in there. Lord, forgive us of that. And may we restore you as king and trust you with all of our heart and lean not in their own understanding but in all our ways acknowledge you. Help us, Lord, in this crazy political season to be living the dream with you in the center of our life. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.